I'm actually going to uh, to go back to verse 31 through to the end of uh, through verse 59 of John chapter 8. Um, as if you've been here for the past few weeks, you know that I started out intending to preach this whole passage in one sermon, but uh, that task, I, I felt I couldn't do it, so I had to break it into, into three sections. So I'm going to ask if you're able, um, if you're not because of uh, a physical um, issues, please don't feel like you need to stand, but if you're able, please do stand with me out of honor to the word of our Lord as we read John chapter 8, verses 31 to 59. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham, and we have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. I know that you are the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing what Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing what your father did. They said to him, We were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered him, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets, yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who died? And the prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say, he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you, but I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. 
So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Two years ago in South Africa, there was a man who had had an asthma attack, and he keeled over and was, was not breathing. He had no pulse, and his family declared him dead, and they, and they, the, they brought him away, and, and he was, was brought to a mortuary. About 10 hours later, the man actually woke up. There he was in a mortuary surrounded by dead bodies and woke up and screamed. And you can imagine, I think I would probably do the same thing. But, but this man was supposedly dead, but was still alive. And the, the, the authorities actually were, were very quick to publish the story because they, they said that nobody but the medical authorities should be able to declare when somebody is actually dead. But sometimes even the medical authorities get it wrong. In 1984, during a post-mortem examination in New York City, a man was, was lying on the gurney, and as soon as, the, as, soon as the, the, the medical examiner made the first incision to do the medical exam, the man woke up and grabbed the man by the throat. He grabbed the, the man doing the examination by the throat, and the, the pathologist actually died of shock right there. It's a true story. You can, you, can, you can look it up. But although men might have a hard time discerning the difference between somebody who is dead and somebody who's actually alive, the dividing line between death and life is actually quite clear. It's like being pregnant. You either are or you aren't. You're either dead or you're alive. And if that is true physically, that is eminently more true spiritually. You are either spiritually dead or you are spiritually alive. And here in, in John chapter 8, verses 48 to 49, to 59, rather, we see the difference. We see the difference in this interaction between Jesus and these Jews who claimed to be spiritually alive. They claimed that they were alive, but in reality, as we'll see, they were dead. As I mentioned earlier, this is a continuation of, of what we began two weeks ago. In the first two weeks ago, we saw that, that you were either a slave of God or you were a slave of sin. And then last week, we saw that you were either a child of God or a child of the devil. And today we're going to see that you were either alive in God or dead in sin. Now last week Jesus had showed these Jews who had apparently believed in him that they were still bound in their sins. Remember back in verse 36, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. If Jesus Christ has really set you free from sin... Sin no more has any dominion over you. Because the Son, God the Son, has set you free. You have died to sin. You are no longer a slave of sin, but you are a slave 
of righteousness. You're a slave of God. If your life is characterized by unrepentant sin, you're proving that you have never been set free in Christ. Likewise, these Jews claimed to be the children of Abraham, but Jesus showed them that true children of Abraham would actually behave like Abraham. Now, we saw last week that Abraham wasn't perfect. Abraham committed some, repeatedly committed some, some very glaring sins. But Abraham's life was one that was characterized by faith and repentance. And so we, if we are children of God, we will also be those whose life is characterized by faith and repentance. These Jews claimed that God was their father. But God wasn't their father because they wanted to kill the son. They did not love the son. They accused him. They rejected God's word because they weren't of God. So Jesus told them that they were behaving more like the one who really was their father. They were behaving like the devil. And now in verse 48, the Jews react and they show Jesus the ultimate dishonor. So here standing before them is God the Son, the sinless, holy Messiah, the one that they claimed to be looking for, the one that they claimed to be hoping for. He was right there physically in front of them, and they rejected him. They hurled insults at him. They accused him. And as we'll see, they'll even seek to kill him. But this is the same group that back in verse 30, quote-unquote, believed in him. They supposedly believed in him. We saw that back in, in John chapter 2, several, several months ago, that, that they, Jesus knew what was going on in their hearts. He knew what was really happening. He knew that their faith was not real. And these Jews are showing it immediately. They're playing tit for tat. Just as Jesus had challenged their origin, they call him a Samaritan. He had told them that they were children of the devil, and now they say that he's demon-possessed. These were the worst insults that they could think of. Cultural and religious purity were a vital part of what it means to be a Jew. They looked down, the Jews looked down on the Samaritans because of their idolatry and because they had intermarried with foreign nations. So for the Jews to, to call somebody a Samaritan was equivalent of the sort of racial slur that you would hear leveled against an African American in the, in the U.S. South in the 50s and 60s. It was the worst thing that they could think of. They're saying, question our lineage? You're descended from idolatrous half-breeds. You're saying that we belong to the devil? You have a demon. Now, of course, people had accused Jesus of being demon-possessed before, and they'll do it again. They even said that Jesus cast out demons by Beelzebul. They even had accused John the Baptist of having a demon because they didn't like what he was saying. But they hadn't changed their tactics. They were still behaving the way people often 
behave when somebody challenges you with something that you don't want to hear. Whenever somebody challenges you about an issue, you have a choice. You can either accept what they say or you can reject it. And if you reject it, you'll, you'll, what you'll have to do is you'll have to somehow justify the behavior. You'll have to either say that, that, that they're wrong, that they don't really have the facts, or else you'll have to discredit them so you don't have to listen to them, or both. So when somebody comes to you and, and talks to you about a sin, you're going to go one of two ways. You're either going to say, you know, there might actually be something to what this, what this individual is, is saying to me. It might actually be right. Or you're going to say they don't have a clue. Or in your mind, you're going to list all the things that they do wrong so that you don't have to accept what they say. This tactic has been used throughout the ages, everywhere from playgrounds to courtrooms. But the question is, will the defense stand the scrutiny of him who searches hearts? Will that defense stand to the scrutiny of him who searches hearts? In this case, it doesn't. These Jews, like the devil, act as an accuser. But no charge would stick against Jesus, and their defense just proves that Jesus is 100% correct in his verdict against them. So Jesus simply answered them. In verse 49, I do not have a demon. I do not have a demon, but I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Jesus honors the Father. Everything that he does is in loving, perfect obedience to his heavenly Father. The Son does exactly what he sees the Father doing, John 5.19. Every word that Jesus spoke, every action that he did was for the glory of the Father. Yet the Jews were dishonoring Jesus even though he is deserving of every bit the same honor as the Father deserves, John 5.23. But as bad as this dishonor is, the worst is yet to come. But even as dishonorably as these Jews were behaving, no matter what they said to Jesus, had no bearing on who he actually was. Nothing they could do and nothing they could say would change the fact that Jesus really is God the Son. All around the world, to this day, people deny Jesus. If they make any claim on any other name whereby someone could be saved, whether they say it's through Muhammad, or whether it's through Buddha, or whether it's through Krishna, or whether it's through themselves, or whether it's through nothing, they're denying Jesus. But that doesn't deny the fact. It does nothing to change the fact that Jesus really is God the Son. But people don't just deny Jesus by their words, do they, when they, when they claim another God? They dishonor Jesus by the way they behave. Even many who actually claim to be followers of Christ dishonor him by their actions. But Jesus didn't need their, to, to seek their honor. 
Jesus wasn't looking for honor from men. He didn't even need to seek his own glory. He knew who he was. Jesus knew that he was God the Son. So it didn't matter in that sense what they said to him. It would matter for them. But Jesus knew exactly who he was. But even more than that, the Father was seeking the glory of the Son. So whatever others think doesn't matter. The Father is the supreme judge. Those who dishonor Jesus will suffer eternal punishment. They will suffer immeasurably worse torment than, than, than Jesus could have experienced by their dishonor. Jesus knew that his Father is a holy God. But Jesus knew what was coming with the cross. So whatever these people said to him didn't change his mission, didn't change who he was. And beloved, I believe that there's a, there's a lesson, there's another lesson in this for us. When people dishonor us for doing what is right, we don't have to worry. In fact, we should expect that people are going to dishonor us for doing what is right. If the people dishonored Christ, they will also dishonor us. They will also dishonor his true disciples. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But Jesus has chosen us out of the world, John 15, 19. If they persecuted Jesus, they will persecute us, John 15, 20. Fellow Christians, have you thought about the fact that you are receiving honor from God the Father? You're receiving honor from God the Father. And he showed this most profoundly and most powerfully when he sent his son to die for our sins. Why would a soaring eagle seek honor from a slug? If you really know who you are in Christ, if you really know who you are in Christ, it doesn't matter what people think of you. In fact, you will actually count it a, a blessing and an honor to, to be persecuted for the name of Christ. And it's that hope that's, that's sustaining people like those I prayed for in the Philippines. They know who they really are. And they know that nothing that anybody can say to them and nothing that anybody can do to them can change that fact. Not even the most horrific forms of persecution can change it. We don't need to seek vengeance for ourselves. We don't need to defend ourselves because God is the judge. Paul says in Romans 12, 19, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So we're free to be able to bless those who persecute us and to pray for those who, who despitefully use us. Because you know and you serve God, who is a righteous judge. 
but not to be distracted from his primary message, Jesus says in verse 51, Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. He's returning to the same message which, with which he started this whole section of teaching in verse 31, when he said, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Now, a synonym, a synonym for the word keeps is remains. So a true disciple believes in Jesus' word and keeps on believing. A true disciple trusts in Jesus' word and keeps on trusting. A true disciple obeys Jesus' word and keeps on obeying. To keep in Jesus' word is to keep in Jesus. And if you keep Jesus' word, you will never taste death. You'll never taste death. Now, of course, Jesus here is not talking about mere physical death. He's talking about spiritual death. He's expressing the positive by the negative of its opposite. What I mean is, is by saying you'll never see death, he's saying that you will see eternal life. You'll never see death, so you will see its opposite. You will see eternal life. And this is the message that Jesus has been teaching all along. Come to me and live. Come to me and live. He's offering the light of life, John 8, 12. The words that Jesus speaks here are their spirit and life, John 6, 63. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but he has passed from death to life, John 5, 24. As Jesus will say to Martha after the resurrection of Lazarus, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives, believes in me, shall never die. John 11, 25 and 26. Beloved, Christ has risen from the grave, and so will we. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? 1 Corinthians 15, 54 and 55. This has been the comfort of the saints throughout the ages. It's no wonder that Henry Light's hymn, Abide With Me, is so popular at funerals. Abide with me, falls fast eventide. The darkness deepens, Lord, with me abide. When other helpers fail and comforts flee, help of the helpless, oh, abide with me. Have you found life in Christ? If you have, nothing can separate you from that love, not even death. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 8, 38 and 39. But then in verse 52 of John 8, these Jews prove that they have not found life because they reject Jesus. And so they repeat their insult, this time more forcefully. Now we know that you have a demon. They reject him and they reject his words, saying, Abraham died as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? 
Yet again, they completely miss the point. They completely misunderstand what Jesus is talking about. Seeing death and tasting death were common ways in Jewish culture to refer to, to dying. But they think that Jesus is merely talking about physical death. And so again, they refer to Abraham. They're saying Abraham believed God's word, but Abraham still died. Then they go to the prophets. The prophets believed God's word, but they also died. Hendrickson says the biography of each of these great men ended with the terse comment, and he died. One seems to hear the echo of Genesis 5, and he died, and he died, and he died. But each of these faithful men still lives. They still live in the sense that Jesus was talking about. But these Jews were so blinded by their sin that they could not hear Jesus. They rejected his words. They rejected him. They couldn't see him for who he really is. And they hate him because he exposes their sin. They're totally blind to the truth of what God is talking about. And again, they're proving that Jesus' verdict against them is correct. Look at verse 43. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you, not bear to, you cannot bear to hear my word. Jesus is speaking of things that they cannot comprehend. They have no categories for this. Jesus is, is talking about eternal things, and they're stuck in the mud of the physical. Jesus is soaring with the eagles, and they're stuck in the mud with the slugs. But their fate is immeasurably worse than that of slugs. They are dead in their sins. They're already dead in their sins. And so they ask Jesus, who do you make yourself out to be? Who do you make yourself out to be? Again, they're missing the point. Jesus isn't making himself out to be anyone. He's not making himself out to be anyone. He is who he is. He is God the Son. That is Jesus's point, and that is the point of John's gospel. Jesus is God the Son. And he says to them in verse 54, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, He is our God. They claimed that God was their Father, but if God were really their Father, they would love Jesus because the Father had sent Him. The Son had come from the Father. He is the exact representation of the Father. If they really loved the Father, they would love the Son. Jesus had explained back in verse 18 that the Father bore witness about him. The Father testified to who he was. The Father glorified him. So to, to wash the vileness of these insults that these Jews had hurled against Jesus out of our minds, let's consider what the Father has to say about the Son. Turn your Bibles, please, to Hebrews chapter 1. This is what the Father says about the Son. Hebrews 1, 5. You're my Son, today I've begotten you. 
I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Verse 6, let all God's angels worship him. Verses 8 and 9, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions. Do you see that? God is exalting Jesus and calling him God. And verse 10 to 12, God glorifies the work of the Son in creation and testifies to his eternality. And then in verse 13, the Son is welcomed to the Father's right hand. The Father glorifies the Son. And because the Father is saying these sorts of things about the Son, it's irrelevant to Jesus as far as he is concerned what they say about him. Because he knows the Father. Because he is one with the Father. So Jesus now turns the tables on them again in verse 55. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and I keep his word. He says he knows God, but they don't. He'd be lying if he said he didn't know God. Jesus never lies. He cannot lie. He is the truth. And he knows God like no one else. He has been in unique unity with the Father for all eternity. Case in point, he keeps God's word. He keeps God's word. Now, just a few verses ago, he had exhorted people to keep his word. Now he's saying he keeps God's word. His word is God's word. They're one and the same. And friends, if you don't keep God's word, you don't know God. If you don't keep God's word, you don't know God. These Jews that Jesus is speaking to do not keep God's word. They are liars just like their father, the devil. Jesus does to them what they have done to him. They were calling him a liar. Now he is calling them liars. They're appealing to Abraham. Now he appeals to Abraham, but in a way that is incredibly profound, in, in a way that they never would have guessed, in a way that they would not understand. He says, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Now, Abraham understood that through his son Isaac, the Messiah would come. Abraham is prominently listed in the Hebrews Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11.13 as one of those who died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. A.T. Robinson tells of a Jewish tradition that Abraham saw the whole history of his descendants in the vision of Genesis 15.6 and following, but explains that it's not necessary to have that interpretation here. Abraham looked for and welcomed the Messianic age. Abraham saw it and rejoiced. These Jews saw it and were angry. 
So when Jesus appeals to Abraham here, it's not as one who is appealing to one who is greater than himself, as the Jews did, but as one whose position bears testimony to one whose position is immeasurably greater. Now, people like to name drop. It's, it's a common form of, of self-promotion. On an infinitely lower level, if I say, I know Stephen Harper, and and I tell you, I'm looking forward to having dinner at the Prime Minister's house next week. That says something. But it says immeasurably more if the Prime Minister says that he's looking forward to having dinner at my place next week. It's the, the one who is, is lesser gives glory to the one who is greater. Abraham, who is far less than Jesus, gives glory to Abraham. But the Jews don't bite at that part. They're still stuck in the mud, thinking on merely physical terms. So they react in verse 57. You're not yet 50 years old, and you've seen Abraham? Abraham had died, had been dead for 2,000 years. How could you, who aren't even 50, have seen Abraham? And none of them were prepared for the answer. Jesus says, Verily, verily, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. Now, he's not saying here, before Abraham was, I was. He's saying something, something infinitely more. Before Abraham was, I am. It's a supremely powerful statement. Jesus repeatedly refers to him this way throughout John's gospel. I am the bread of life, John 6.35. I am the light of the world, John 8.11. I am the good shepherd, John 10.11. I am the way, the truth, and the life, John 14.6. But this is far more powerful. He says simply, I am. I am. In the Greek, it's egoimi. In the Hebrew, it's Yahweh. Jesus is revealing his divine name. It's the same name that he had used in Exodus 3.14 when he declared himself to Moses. I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. Jesus is the I am. Jesus is Yahweh. And his meaning isn't lost on these Jews. They pick up stones to stone him. As a blasphemer. But his time had not yet come. He hid himself and went out of the temple. Jesus simply walked away. But about six months later, they would kill him. But in so doing, he would get even more glory than he had exhibited to this point. As his perfect obedience to his heavenly Father came to the culmination of the cross. As Jesus bore our sins on the cross, beloved, as he faced the full wrath 
of our Heavenly Father. As his life was poured out, as he gave up his spirit, and as he was raised again on the third day and is now exalted at the right hand of the Father. Now you might not show open aggression towards Jesus like these Jews did, but your response to him reveals who you really are. We're looking at this for the past three weeks. Are you a slave of God or a slave of sin? Are you a child of God or a child of the devil? Are you alive in God or are you dead in sin? Do you believe who Jesus is? Do you believe what Jesus says? Now, I think here we would all answer with an emphatic yes. Yes, I believe who Jesus is. Yes, I believe what he says. But the real truth comes out when you answer the question, are you obeying Jesus? Are you walking in repentance and faith in Jesus? Friends, if Jesus is not your Lord, he is not your Savior. If you aren't obeying him, you are behaving more like these Jews and their father than perhaps you would like to admit. Turn with me in your Bibles, please, to Colossians chapter 3. Look at verse 3. Colossians 3.3, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. If you, if you are alive in Christ, you're also dead in Christ. You have been united with him in his life and his death and his resurrection. And if you are dead in Christ, you're also dead to sin. That's why Paul writes in Romans chapter 6, verse 11. Romans 6, 11. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Consider yourself. Consider yourself what you already are, fellow Christian. If you're dead, then live like it. If you have died with Christ and been raised with Christ, then live like Christ in the grace that he provides. And by so doing, we will prove ourselves to be true disciples. when we take up our cross daily and follow him. Let's pray together.